Amen. You may be seated. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 14. We started a series a couple of weeks ago on uh, the Holy Spirit, and uh, I really have in my heart to, to focus on um, um, the Holy Spirit in you. There's a, a lot of different ways you can approach the, the subject of the Holy Spirit and so forth, but I really want to focus on the Holy Spirit in the believer. And so we're, we're using as a text scripture, John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, said to his disciples after Judas had left the room, Jesus said, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Now, the word comforter is uh, identified, it's a Greek word paraclete, and it's uh, identified by seven different terms or seven different uh, words in the Amplified. I don't know if I can say them all right off the top of my head, but uh, it's uh, comforter, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, and standby. I think I missed one in there some way or another. But anyway, it talks about how that he would be the same kind of comfort that Jesus had been to them for the last three years. And if you read the Gospels, they've been dependent on Jesus for just about everything as far as uh, provision is concerned and natural things, but then also as far as uh, knowledge and wisdom and understanding the things of God. So he says, that's going to be the work of the Holy Spirit. And I will pray the Father and he'll give you another comforter that he may abide with you for a few weeks. That he may abide with you until you die and then that's it for the church. That he may abide with you forever. Folks, I don't know how people can talk about the work of the Holy Spirit having changed or, or been done away with. Some of the works of the Holy Spirit being done away with when Jesus said he'd abide with you forever. He didn't say he'd work for a little while, then leave you on your own. Verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not neither knoweth him... But you know him. Now notice the next two things. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. He talks about the Holy Spirit in two different functions or two different aspects. Two different ways that the Holy Spirit will work. In you and with you. In you and with you. Now there's a difference between in and with. If I went to the store with you, that doesn't mean I'm in you. But if God is in us, then he's also with us too. So he's talking about two separate functions. And we've talked about this a little bit. We talked about how that Jesus said in John chapter 4, at the woman, the, speaking to the woman at the well of Samaria, he said, He that drinketh of the water that I give him shall never thirst, but that water shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So he's talking about a, the well of water, the Holy Spirit like a well of water relative to the everlasting or eternal life. But then he said in John chapter 7, in the last day of the feast, the feast week, he stood and cried and said, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He said, Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And then it goes on in the next verse, verse 39, I believe it is, and said, But this spake he of the Holy Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. Now he mentions two different things there. Believing on him, the Holy Spirit talks about those believing on Jesus and then for those who believe on Jesus. And then, by the way, talking about the day of the Holy Spirit, meaning the day of the church, if you believe on Jesus, you're saved. That's what the Bible means when it says believe on Jesus. It doesn't mean just having heard about Jesus. It means having received him. So it says this is the Holy Spirit that he was speaking of that they which believe on him should receive. Two works. In and with. Now, this morning I want to talk about some, uh, some things relative to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit in you as being salvation and with you the infilling of the Holy Spirit. In other words, a work of the Spirit of God that's not just to benefit you but to benefit others. 
it does benefit you too. It's kind of like the, somebody said, you know, the inside of a hose gets wet just like the water that sprays out of the hose. So the Holy Spirit will benefit you when he works to help others as well. There is a benefit. There's a power. There's a miraculous ability that's made available by the Holy Spirit being with us. But I want to talk to you specifically about some things relative to being filled with the Spirit or the Spirit with us this morning. And I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts. There are five different times in the book of Acts where it is identified that someone was filled or baptized with the Spirit. Those are interchangeable terms in Scripture. Filled or baptized with the Spirit. Five different times. We want to look at each one of those five and then make some comments. So if you'll turn with me to John chapter, I'm sorry, to Acts chapter 2, we'll start there. We know that in uh, Acts chapter 2, it tells us uh, that uh, in the previous verses, it tells us that there are 120 disciples that are gathered in Jerusalem. I, I've always been curious about that because it says after Jesus was raised from the dead, um, it, the, the Greek is a little bit uh, hard to understand here because it could be one of two things. It says over 500 people saw him after he was raised from the dead. Well, the way that it's written, it could be a crowd of more than 500 people saw him at one time. So it could be 500 people total or it could be 500 people at one time plus the other people that saw him. So let's just take the lowest number and say if it's 500 people total that saw Jesus after he was raised from the dead, where are the under 380 people? There's 120 in the upper room at the day of Pentecost. Where are the rest of the people that saw Jesus raised from the dead? Are they too busy in life, in their life, to recognize that the guy that they just saw crucified and now is alive is just a side issue? Well, nevertheless, there's 120 in the upper room in Acts chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1, it said, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled. Notice he didn't leave anybody out. Not just the, the, the 12. They've replaced Judas now with another guy. It's not just the 12. It's not just the apostles. But it says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, you know what happens. They, uh, they spill out into the street, and it causes a great stir, and, and Peter preaches a sermon to them. After he preaches the sermon about Jesus being crucified and so forth, the people cry out and say, well, what are we supposed to do? Notice in chapter 2 and verse 38, Jesus, uh, Peter answers and says to them, here's what you need to do. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and. Everybody say and. And means something in addition. When he says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, he's saying, here's what you need to do. Number one, you need to get saved. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now, that's, a lot of times we think of baptism as being water baptism. And very seldom does the Bible in the New Testament talk about baptism in terms of water. It's not talking about being immersed in water. It's not talking about being baptized in water. That's a good thing. That's a ritual and a, and a rite of the church that's, uh, that's profitable. But being baptized in water is just an outward sign of something that's already happened inside. If you haven't already been born again by making Jesus the Lord of your life, then getting into water is not going to save you. If it did, then all you'd have to do is go swimming and everybody would be okay and they'd get to heaven. It's not the water that does anything. The water or the, the, the baptism ritual is just an outward sign of something that's already taken place on the inside. And if it hasn't taken place on the inside, the water is worthless. So where the Bible talks about baptism, most of the times it's talking about being baptized or immersed 
into the body of Christ, the family of God, not into water. Now, there are some exceptions. It talks about some that were baptized in water, and that's fine. Uh, we're not trying to, to, to speak disparagingly of it, but most people see the word baptism, and all they think of is water baptism. And it's very seldom what the New Testament is talking about. It's not what Peter's talking about here. He didn't say, let's all go down to the river. He says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. In other words, be saved. Enter into the family of God by accepting the sacrifice of Jesus for yourself. And here's something else you need. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy, the Holy Ghost. In other words, when they say their hearts were pricked and they said, Peter, what are we supposed to do? Peter says, here's what you need to do. You need to get saved and filled with the Spirit. Acts chapter 8. We'll read a couple of verses in the, um, uh, the first part of the chapter to set it up, and then we'll read a little bit further down the road. Verse 5, it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Well, we know what that means, don't we? That means he preached Jesus, crucified and risen from the dead. In other words, he evangelized in the, in the city of Samaria. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits came out with a loud voice, or crying with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. Verse 8, and there was great joy in that city. Goes on to tell us about a guy named Simon. He'll, we'll see him in a minute, but skip with me over to verse 12. But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. So we, he's preaching salvation then. Notice the two different ways the Holy Spirit refers to it here in this scripture. But it means the same thing. He's preaching Jesus crucified. He's preaching salvation, salvation message. When they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Now, what baptism is this talking about? Could it be water baptism? Well, it could be, but it's talking about they got saved. They believed, and so they received. They believed this preaching about Jesus going to the cross and being raised from the dead, and so they were baptized. In other words, they entered into the family of God. They made Jesus the Lord of their lives. They got saved. Verse 14. Now, when the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God. Notice the different way the Holy Ghost speaks of it here in this verse. Being saved, being baptized in the name of Jesus, believing the preaching of Christ, believing the preaching concerning the things concerning the kingdom of God, and so forth, is the same as receiving the word of God. Peter said in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, I think it is, it says, being born again by the incorruptible seed of the word. You're born again by the word of God. So when you receive the word of God concerning Jesus, that's salvation. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Now folks, let me ask you a question. Aren't you born again by the Holy Ghost? Yeah. You're born again by the Holy Ghost. It's the work of the Holy Ghost that makes you a new creature, that saves you. The remission of sins is salvation. When Jesus breathed on the disciples or the apostles in John chapter 20 after his resurrection, he, he, they're behind closed doors. They're afraid of the Jews. They're afraid they're going to be taken captive and, and, and punished and so forth, just like Jesus was. 
Jesus appears to him and says, receive the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they're remitted. And whosoever sins you retain, they're retained. He's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in the remission of sins. You're born again by the Holy Ghost. John chapter, uh, Romans chapter 5 verse 5 says, The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost when we're born again. That's that new creation work that takes place on the inside of us. So the Holy Ghost has come in them to bring salvation. But they haven't received what's called the gift of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit upon them. The Holy Spirit is not yet with them, only in them. So the apostles send Peter and John who when they came down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them. Now it's talking about fallen, using the word or term fallen, like like Jesus used the term with you. For as yet he was fallen upon uh, none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. What does that mean? Is that talking about water baptism? Well, it's possible, but specifically it's talking about salvation. They were baptized into the name of Jesus. When the Bible says we are in Christ, it means we're baptized into him. How were we baptized into him? That had nothing to do with water baptism. You have two people sitting side by side in this room today. They may have been saved for 30 years apiece. One baptized in water and the other not baptized in water. Is one in and one not in? No. Because it's not the outward sign of water baptism. It's the decision that a person makes in their heart to accept Jesus' sacrifice. So it says, he was fallen upon none of them yet, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Verse 21, thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Now turn with me over to Acts chapter 9. Here's the third experience where somebody is filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 9 tells us about Saul on the road to Damascus. He's on the way to Damascus to persecute the church. He's received letters from the, uh, the high priest and so forth in Jerusalem to put in jail and to persecute and to, to have beaten. Anybody that, can, that calls on the name of Jesus, anybody that claims that Jesus is raised from the dead and is the Messiah and so forth, and it tells us about how the, the light that shined round about him from heaven that was brighter than the noonday sun knocked him off of the animal. Jesus is talking to him. Jesus says in verse 4, As Saul fell to the earth because of the light, he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he says, Who art thou, Lord? This, I love this verse of Scripture. Because Paul doesn't know who he's talking to. Saul, who becomes Paul, doesn't know yet who he's talking to, but he knows he's God. Who art thou, Lord? Don't know who you are, but clearly you're Lord. And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. This was Paul's oh snap moment. Because he knows that Jesus is the very reason that he's got letters from the high priest to persecute Christians. Uh Uh-oh. You mean Jesus is alive. He's just identified that Jesus is Lord. Whoever you are, you're Lord. Jesus said, it's me. I'm Jesus. Oh. And he trembling and astonished, I guess. 
And he, trembling and astonished, said, now that he knows who Jesus is, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Now, folks, I would remind you that Paul is the one that writes to the Romans, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, and says that the two criteria, the two requirements to being born again or to being saved, to being baptized into the name of Jesus are very simply this, to believe that God has raised Jesus from the dead, number one, number two, to confess Jesus as Lord. Paul has just done both of those things. He knows Jesus is alive because Jesus is talking to him. And he just talked to him and called him Lord. Lord, what will thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Now it tells us about Ananias. How Ananias, is, uh, the Lord appears to him and, and speaks to him and says, Ananias, I want you to go to a certain place. Because there's a guy named Saul who's been blinded by the glory of this light. Paul says later on, his own testimony is that he's blinded by the glory of the light, not because of sickness or disease, but because the light was so bright, it has kept him blind or without sight for the last three days. And the Lord says to Ananias, I want you to go lay hands on him that he might receive his sight. Ananias, not knowing what has happened, says, well, Lord, you sure we want to do that? These are my words, but, but it's, it's accurate. Lord, you sure we want to do that? I've heard about this guy. He's here to persecute the church. We know that he's being sent here to persecute Christians. We know we're in danger from this very guy. Isn't blind exactly where we want him? And the Lord speaks to him and says, No, go your way because he's a chosen vessel unto me. He says he'll have to carry my name before the Gentiles and before kings. Now, Ananias does what the Lord tells him to do. Verse 17, Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul. Now you wouldn't call somebody brother unless they were born again. So Ananias has enough information to know that Saul has accepted Jesus as his Savior. We certainly wouldn't call terrorists that that are persecuting Christians around the world and so forth, we wouldn't call Islamic terrorists brother, would we? Oh, yeah, Pastor Mike, there's a brotherhood of man. Yeah, you keep thinking that. There are two families in the earth. There's the family of the devil and the family of God. Mankind is divided into those two groups. I'm pretty sure on, I'm very sure on what group I'm in. I'm pretty sure about you. And you can see from the actions of others where they fall. There is no brotherhood of man. There's a brotherhood in the family of God. Everybody outside is destined, unfortunately, is destined for hell. That's why we're trying to get the good news of Jesus to them. So he says, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me. So Jesus has filled him in, hadn't he? He told him what's happened. He sent me for two things. Number one, that thou mightest receive your sight. And secondly, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales. And he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. Now what does this baptized mean? It doesn't mean baptized in water. It doesn't mean baptized into the family of God because he's already been called brother Saul. He's already received Jesus. So what does this baptized mean? It means he was baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. Turn with me over to Acts chapter 10. Here's the fourth of the five examples. Acts chapter 10 tells us about a certain man named Cornelius in the city of Caesarea who's praying one day and an an angel appears to him and tells him to go send to to Joppa for a certain man named Peter who will come down 
and tell him what he ought to do. So he sends word, sends a messenger down to get Peter to the place where the angel told him to go. In the meantime, Peter has had a vision from the Lord. He doesn't understand what the vision is. But there's a vision where God is trying to get across to him that he's cleansed the Gentiles, the, the, the blood of Jesus, just as much as he's cleansed the Jews. So Peter winds up going down there. Here's the story about the vision. And so Peter starts preaching to the crowd. He tells them about Jesus. It's the great verse in verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power. Who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. Told him other things about Jesus' life and his ministry and his, uh, his resurrection from the dead. Verse 44. While Peter yet spake these words. Words about Jesus. While Peter yet spake these words. The Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, Peter didn't go by himself. He knew he was going to get in trouble for going to the Gentiles. So he took other Jewish believers with him. Members of the, of the respected members of the Jewish community. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter. Because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Notice how it's referred to. The gift of the Holy Ghost. Now how do they know? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized? Now, clearly he's talking about water baptism now. Now that they've been saved, now that they've been filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, why not baptize them? Why not baptize them in water? And so they do. Acts chapter 19 is the fifth example. Starting in verse 1, and it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed to the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? This indicates to me that Paul recognized there's something missing here. He finds people that are disciples. These are people that are interested in God, but there's something that's not right. Maybe Paul had a witness in his heart. Maybe there was something that just didn't sit right with him. But anyway, he said, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? So what does it tell us? It tells us, number one, that Paul accepted that these people were saved. He assumed that they were saved. But he, he wondered whether or not they'd received the Holy Spirit, which shows us that Paul understood that there were two experiences, salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So he says, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said, we've not even never heard of, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Then Paul says, under what then were you baptized? And they said, under John's baptism. Now, here again, you can readily see what's going on. If you're baptized in the name of Jesus, Jesus said to baptize in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So if you're baptized into Christ, then more than likely you're going to have heard of the Holy Ghost. So when they say, we've never heard of the Holy Ghost, Paul says, wait a minute. I've made a wrong assumption here. What are you baptized unto? You can't be baptized into Christ and not having heard of the Holy Spirit, can you? That would be an unusual situation. So he says, under what are you baptized? They said, well, we are, we're baptized into John's baptism. He says, oh, okay, now I understand why it seemed like there was something missing. You folks aren't even saved. Your heart's in the right place, but you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. Which tells us that interest in God doesn't save you. John told the right things. He said, there's one coming after me that I'm not worthy to tie his shoelaces. But that doesn't get you saved. Knowing that the Messiah is coming doesn't get you saved. Which means the Jews are in a mess. Which means the Jews are as unsaved as the world. Just because they believe that there's a Messiah coming. 
That's the same as John's baptism. So Peter says, or Paul says to them, then said Paul, verse 4, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, so he's telling them about Jesus. He's telling them about Jesus coming to the earth, about his ministry, about his crucifixion, his resurrection, and so forth. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Again, it's not talking water baptism. It's talking about being baptized in the family of God. They accepted the, the, the things that Paul said about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and as a result, entered into the family of God. They confessed Jesus as their Lord. And when Paul had laid his hands on him, here's a separate thing entirely. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them. How do we know? And they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about 12. Now those are the five experiences, five different occurrences where the Bible tells us that somebody in the New Testament was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now obviously there were many more experiences. There were many more occasions. But these are the five that the book of Acts tells us about. Now, I want to talk to you this morning real quickly about five things you need to know about the Holy Ghost. Five different things that you need to know about the Holy Ghost. Number one, the Holy Ghost is a gift. Please notice that not a one of these situations did anybody, was anybody instructed or was it necessary for them to tarry or wait or clean themselves up. He's a gift. The Holy Spirit is a gift. It's called the gift. He's spoken of as the gift of the Holy Spirit. The infilling of the Holy Ghost is always called, talked about the gift of the Holy Spirit. Salvation is talked about the gift of Jesus. God has given us his, his, his son as the eternal gift of God. So those are two things, two different ways that it's spoken of. The point, the first point that you need to see is that the Holy Ghost is a gift. If he's a gift, then that means any child of God, that brings us to point number two, the Holy Ghost can be received by any and every child of God because he's a gift. Because he's a gift. So many times people have the idea that there's something else they've got to do. Something they've got to clean up about themselves. I remember Brother Hagin telling a story about when John Osteen was first filled with the Holy Spirit. He had been the pastor of uh, Central Baptist Church in Baytown, Texas for 15 years. And then moved over to Lakewood Baptist Church. There was a storm some years later after he got filled with the Holy Ghost. And the word Baptist flew off the sign. <laughs> so they just never put it back up. So even to this day, it's called Lakewood Church. Well, that's how it became Lakewood Church. The storm blew off the, the name Baptist off of it. But anyway, he's in, uh, Brother Hagin's holding a, a meeting in a nearby town from where Brother Osteen lived. And uh, it was Brother Goodwin's church. And so there's those three men, Brother Goodwin, Brother Hagin, and, and uh, Brother Osteen, that are standing around after the service. And there was a lady that came up and said, Brother Osteen, do you remember me? Well, he didn't remember her right off, but she had been a member of his church during those 15 years, sometime during those 15 years that he was pastoring his Central Baptist Church in Baytown, Texas. And so he said, oh, yeah, 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 I do. I remember you. I'm sorry I didn't recognize you right off. And she said, listen, I want you gentlemen to pray for me because I see from these things that Brother Hagin has been saying, I see that the, that the baptism of the Holy Ghost is available for the church. She said, but I want you to pray for me because I've got some more digging around to do. Well, Brother Osteen said, ma'am, may I ask you a question? She said, well, certainly. He said, if you had a heart attack and died right now, would you go to heaven? She said, well, yes, I would. Of course I would. I certainly know that I would. And he said, well, if you're good enough to get into heaven, aren't you good enough to get a little bit more heaven into you? 
And she smiled. She said, yes, of course I am. I don't have any digging around to do. You gentlemen, lay your hands on me and I'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Brother Hagin said all three of them stretched their hands out to her, barely brushed her forehead, and she began speaking in tongues fluently from that moment on. See, folks, the Holy Ghost is a gift. And as a gift, he's available to every child of God. Turn with me over to Luke chapter 11. There are other, uh, other, some of these occurrences in the book of Acts that we'll come back to and, and make mention of. But I want you to see this. I'll have you turn to a couple of different things along the way. Luke chapter 11. I want to start reading in verse 10. Well, better back up to verse 9. Jesus said, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone, everybody say everyone. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. And here's the example that he uses about to prove that point. He said, if a son asks bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Well, certainly the answer is no. Or if he asks for a fish, will he instead of a fish give him a serpent? Well, of course not. That wouldn't be good for him. And then he says, or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Now, notice the three things that are spoken of in, in, uh, uh, that Jesus says, would a father give him this instead? A stone, a serpent, and a scorpion. All three of those things represent, Jesus, uh, represent the devil or unbelief, some characteristic of the devil. And Jesus is simply saying, if a father is asked by his son for any of these things, will he, instead of what he's asked for, give him anything that would be harmful to the son? Of course not. The answer is certainly no. Then Jesus said, if you then, being evil, the word evil just simply means natural, human, carnal beings. If you then, being natural parents, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Now, what is he saying? Well, there's a couple of things you need to see here. Number one, some people have said, and I've heard this said in denominational circles, well, you've got to be careful when you get around those people that believe in the Holy Spirit. You've got to be careful. Because I've known of people, and of course, I've never known of anybody. I've never found anything that can be verified along this line. But I've always heard the story. I've known of people that have asked for the Holy Ghost and gotten something from the devil. Now, that's a, an offshoot from what they used to say, that speaking in tongues was always of the devil. And you go by year after year after year, decade after decade, and somehow it lightens up a little bit as you go, but there's still that hanging on to uh, the devil's involved in that. Jesus just said that was impossible. Jesus said there's no way that you can ask God for the Holy Ghost and get something from the devil. He just said there's no way you could ask God for the something for the Holy Ghost and get something that is characteristic of the devil. In other words, the Holy Ghost won't, give, won't make you heart of heart. That's what the stone represents. You can't get something that represents the serpent or the scorpion, which is the devil himself. It's impossible. But I'll tell you this, in my experience, it's fear that keeps most denominational people out of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's fear of the devil. Oh, well, you just never know. Well, Jesus said you do. Jesus said, here's how it works. And the example that he uses, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, if you're smart enough to know that if your son asks you for something good, you don't give him something bad, if you're that smart, 
How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? I was uh, talking to a lady one time. This was early on in the church, probably 27, 28 years ago almost. And uh, she called and and, uh, somehow or another she heard of us. I guess we had a radio program on or maybe she heard of us some other way. But uh, anyway, she called and she was from Riverside. Well, she couldn't get here and and, um, uh, she was plagued by anxiety attacks. And at the point in time that we were talking, she had had this thing for four years where she had not left her house. Because the devil told her if she ever left her house, if she ever tried to walk out the front door of her house, that he'd kill her. Well, this thing would come on her and, and her heart would start, uh, you know, fluttering and, and all this kind of stuff. She, she just wasn't able to leave her house. And you could well imagine the, the strains that would put on her husband. He had to do all the house, the, the shopping for the house. He had to do all the taking the kids back and forth. So he's trying to work a job and do her job at the same time. And it was a mess. And so somehow or another, she had gotten a hold of us and, and uh, called on the phone. And, and uh, early days of the church, there was nothing else to do. So I just talked to her on the phone. I mean, if there had been people to pastor, I'd been glad to, but there just wasn't anybody coming. So anyway, I talked to her on the phone and, and stayed with her on the phone for quite a while and talked to her about authority and, and so forth. And, uh, and then finally I asked, I said, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? She said, no. She said, I've always wanted to be. She said, I've been seeking the Lord for a long time to be filled with the Spirit. You ever heard that term, I've been seeking? Folks, nearly every church, every Pentecostal church has chronic seekers. I'm going to tell you before we leave today, I'm going to tell you how to do away with the chronic seeking and receive. Easiest thing in the world. So anyway, she said, I've been seeking the Holy Spirit for a long, long time. And, uh, and so I said, well, what keeps you from receiving? I knew what the answer was going to be. She said, well, I just don't know. I, I'm just not sure if it's God's will for me to have. You know, he doesn't want everybody to have that. And I said, how'd you get that? Where'd you come up with the idea? She said, well, I don't know. I, I've always been taught that. That God wants some people to have this gift, but not everybody. I said, does God want some people to have Jesus and not everybody? She said, well, no, of course not. And I said, then why would God want certain things for some people that he wouldn't want for other people? When he said, I'll give you another comforter that he'll abide with you forever. He'll be with you and in you. Well, it got her so confused, she didn't know which way was up. So I said, all right. I I could tell that her mind wasn't exactly real sharp. Because of the anxiety and all that kind of stuff. So I said, all right, let's do this. Turn with me over to Luke chapter 11. She got her Bible and I had her read Luke chapter 11. And she went through the verses, the very same verses we just read. If you then know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Now, folks, I want you to understand something. It says God gives to his children the Holy Spirit. It does not say God gives to the world the Holy Spirit. The relationship that's talked about here, the foundation of these scriptures is your heavenly father. That means saved. Much damage is done by making the same assumption Paul made in Acts chapter 13, that these people were saved when they weren't. Worst thing in the world for them to do would have been seek the Holy Spirit, seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit without first making Jesus the Lord of their lives. Because it's not for the world. It's for the church. But it is for the church. So we went through that. I said, you know that Jesus is your Lord. You know God's your heavenly father, right? She said, yeah. And I said, well, then the Bible says that God will give you the Holy Spirit if you'll ask him for it. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, I prayed back in 1970-something. She went through her story. I let her have her story. And I said, well, all I know is how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? 
She said, yeah, but what about brother so-and-so that says this? She told her story. I said, well, all I know is that Luke eleven thirteen says that your heavenly father will give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. She came up with another objection. And every time I'd answer the same way. All I know is Luke eleven thirteen. How much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? We went through this about 10 times. Honest to goodness, about 10 times. I stayed on the phone with her for 45 minutes. We went through this for about 10 times. Finally, after about the 10th time, and I said, all I know is your heavenly father will give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. She said, boy, you know more about the Bible than anybody I've ever seen. <laughs> and all I've said is Luke eleven thirteen, Over and over and over and over again. Well, the short of the story is we simply prayed over the phone. I got her from the place of not wondering whether or not it was the will of God because the Bible says God will give to his children the Holy Spirit if they'll simply ask him. I said, are you willing to ask? She said, well, yeah, sure, I'm willing to ask. I said, then the Bible says you'll receive. She said, Pastor Mike, do you think so? And I said, no, I don't think so. All I know is Luke eleven thirteen. <laughs> got her filled with the Holy Spirit and in a short period of time got her walking outside in her front yard free from that anxiety stuff. But it's hinged on being filled with the Holy Spirit because she had to cross that barrier. The Holy Spirit is a gift and he's available for every Christian. Now the devil will tell some people, well, there's some secret sin or there's some problem with you and that's why you don't receive. That's impossible. There's no such thing as the secret sin for the Christian. Aren't you there when you're sin? What is secret sin about? People take something that David said, Lord, cleanse me from secret sin. Well, David, if you're too stupid to know when you're sinning, that's not my problem. There is no such thing as secret sin. Because the Bible says whenever we step outside of love, which is the commandment of the new covenant, our heart convicts us. Our conscience tells us what we did wrong. There's no such thing as secret sin for the Christian. No such thing. And the devil will use people's ignorance about the Bible, twist the Bible around to come up with some other meaning to try to rob people of what belongs to them. Point number three, third thing you need to know about the Holy Ghost. Tongues always accompany the infilling of the Spirit. Now turn back with me to Acts chapter 8. You may have noticed that of the five examples that we used, only three of them spoke specifically about people speaking in tongues. Acts chapter 2 says they were all filled and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Acts chapter 10 says while Peter spoke these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them and the circumcision were amazed. They of the circumcision were amazed that the Holy Ghost was poured out for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Acts chapter 19, it says Paul laid his hands on them and they began to, uh, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke with other tongues and prophesied. But Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 9 fail to mention tongues specifically. Or do they? Acts chapter 8. This is when Peter and John come down after the Samaria has received the word of God. They've been born again. Verse 17, then laid they their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the, uh, the Holy Ghost was given, this is verse 18, he offered them money. Now, let me ask you a question. What did he see? He saw something. The previous verses tell us the part that we skipped over tells us about how Simon pr uh, promoted himself, advanced himself as some great mystical person. 
And so now he wants to still be seen in the eyes of the people as somebody great. So when he sees Peter and John lay hands on people and they receive the Holy Ghost, he says, let me offer you money to give me this gift too. He had to see something. What did he see? You wouldn't offer money for something that was unseen, would you? Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given. He offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Notice the word matter. You know what that word matter is? It's the Greek word logos. It's translated word in most other places. For example, in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, logos. And the word was with God, and the word was, with, the word was God, and the word was with God. Here, what it's speaking of, the word logos literally means spoken word. So when Peter says, Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter of utterance, he's literally talking about a spoken word. You don't have any part in these words that are being spoken. What words are spoken? Well, the Bible says in every other, in, the, in three of the other five examples, it says that they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So literally what he's saying is you don't have any part in this matter of utterance. It's translated, the, the root word for this is translated utterance in other places in the New Testament. So where the Bible identifies or translates, King James translates this as matter, he's talking about spoken words. You don't have any part in this that has been spoken. Well, what does the Bible tell us in other examples where people were filled with the Holy Spirit that was spoken? Other tongues. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 is, is Paul's example. It says, when Ananias laid hands on him to receive your... He said, Brother Saul, the Lord... This is verse 17 of Acts chapter 9. Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales. And he arose, he received sight forthwith, and arose and was baptized. Now, it does not say anything about Paul speaking with other tongues. But Paul said he spoke with other tongues. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 18, he said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. So he began speaking with tongues somewhere. When did he begin speaking with other tongues? It would be consistent with Scripture to believe that he began speaking with other tongues at the same point in time that other people who were filled with the Holy Spirit began speaking with other tongues, and that is when they received. Now, let me show you something that you can compare. Some people will say, oh, Pastor Mike, you're just adding to the Scripture. Well, let me ask you to consider this. We see that Paul's changed, his lifestyle changed. We see that Paul goes from being a persecutor of the church to somebody that preaches Jesus. We see that Paul develops over a period of time in Romans chapter 9 and verse 3. He wound up saying, I'd be willing to give up my own salvation if only my, my Jewish brethren would receive. These are the people that are persecuting. These are the people that are stirring up trouble against him everywhere he goes. He said, if it was possible, he knew it wasn't. He said, but if it was possible, I'd be willing to be accursed or give up my own salvation for my Jewish brethren to receive Jesus for themselves. So we see that the love of God begins to develop in his life. When did it begin to develop? He's the one that tells us in Romans 5, 5, that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. When does that take place? When we're born again. Love is the first fruit of the Spirit that's identified. 
the first change that takes place on the inside of us when we're born again, when we make Jesus the Lord of our lives, is that love, the seed of God's love is dropped into our heart. We become children of love instead of children of hate. So even though the Bible doesn't say that's where he began to love, we understand that it is. We understand from the scriptures that's where it began. So why would it be inconsistent for us to believe that the evidence of the Bible infilling of the Holy Spirit, which is speaking with other tongues, began when Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit, when he himself says he began to speak in tongues, or he himself said that he did speak with tongues? The only thing that's consistent with Scripture is that Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues at that moment. If that's the case, then you've got five out of five, all five examples where people were filled with the Holy Spirit that tongues was involved or included. Simon saw something in Acts chapter 8. He said, I want this power. Let me give you money so I can have this power too because I see that something's happening when you lay hands on people to receive the Holy Spirit. Why would he have different evidence than they had in Acts chapter 2 or Acts chapter 10 or Acts chapter 19? It's the same evidence. The infilling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is always accompanied with speaking with other tongues. That brings us to point number four, and I want you to turn back with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And they, talking about the 120, were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Point number four is simply this. The Holy Ghost does not talk in tongues. He gives man utterance to speak in other tongues. I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with people and they they fail to receive when you lay hands on them or pray for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit and you sit down with them and I've learned, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but point number five, maybe let me just go ahead and give you point number five and then we'll talk about them both together. Point number five is there are only two reasons Only two reasons why somebody, when they're prayed for to receive the Holy Spirit, don't receive. No point in looking for another reason. Only two. Number one is a lack of faith. Number two is a failure to receive. Now, I don't say those to be condemning to anybody because they're easily fixed. Both of them are easily fixed. Back to point number four. The Holy Ghost doesn't speak with tongues. I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with somebody afterwards or talked to somebody afterwards. You pray for them. You recognize God's there. The Holy Spirit's there. And folks, please understand something. When you pray for somebody to be filled with the Spirit, God always comes through. I know a lot of people fail to pray for somebody. I've had people come and say, I've been talking to my neighbor or my friend or coworker or whoever it is. I've been talking to them about being filled with the Spirit, and they want to be filled. So, Pastor Mike, lay hands on them so they'll be filled with the Spirit. And I always ask, why didn't you do it? Well, we were talking the other day, and we just decided we'd come to church on Sunday. Well, that's several days they've missed being filled with the Spirit. Why didn't you do something about it? And the answer is always the same, whether you get somebody to admit it or not. And that is, well, I was afraid it wouldn't happen if I did it. I have more confidence in you or somebody else doing it than I have in it that I have in myself, so I just didn't want to mess it up. Folks, please understand, when you pray with somebody that's saved to be filled with the Holy Spirit, God always does his part. Now, the receiver doesn't always do his or hers. And so that's why there are only two reasons. And they both have to do with a failure to believe or a failure to receive. And, and here's the way to fix the failure to receive. Ask them, what are you expecting to happen 
when I pray for you or lay hands on you to be filled with the Spirit. Nine times out of ten, probably 99 out of 100, you'll have somebody say, well, I expected that God was going to start talking through me. And that's not the way it works. Acts chapter 2, verse 4, and they, who's the subject of the sentence? They. And they, number one, were all filled with the Spirit. Number two, and began. They were filled and they began to speak with other tongues. Well, what's the Holy Ghost's job? Giving you utterance as the Spirit gives them utterance. Folks, you need to know something. The supernatural part of tongues is not who's doing the talking. That's you and that's me. Not the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost has no need to talk in tongues. He's part of the Godhead. He doesn't need to speak divine secrets. He has no secrets. There are no secrets from him. He understands. We're the ones that don't understand. He doesn't speak with tongues. He gives you utterance so that you can speak with other tongues. The supernatural part is not who's doing the talking. The supernatural part is the what that is being said. And that's his utterance. Again, I remember Brother Hagin talking about he was in a a meeting for several weeks. And there was a, a school teacher that came from a nearby town that had a friend in that city where he was holding the meeting. She was in this meeting day after day after day after day after day. She'd get in every prayer line. Brother Hagin would have a prayer line. He'd send people off to the prayer room to get saved. But he'd have a prayer line for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit and or to have hands laid on them for healing. And so he's got a big line of people. He said in those days, he said it was uh, an unusual thing for them not to get 100 or so people from even small churches, Pentecostal churches, filled with the Holy Spirit. And so he's going by laying hands on people. He said, I know that every time I laid hands on her, the Holy Ghost came upon her. But she wouldn't speak. And so he said, I couldn't stop in the middle of the prayer line. Take time to teach a Bible lesson. I've got other people to minister to. I just had to go on. He said, finally, the last day she had to go back to her own hometown. It was a morning service. At the end of the service, the lady that was the friend was a member of that church, stood up as the pastor was dismissing the service and said, Pastor, she, he said, my, my friend is a school teacher from a nearby town. That's how Brother Hagin knew what was going on. And, and she has to go back today. And she's been seeking the Holy Spirit. And she's, been, uh, ha- she's had hands laid on her to receive the Holy Spirit. But somehow or another, she just hadn't received. Would it be all right for you and Brother Hagin to lay hands on her one time before you dismiss the service and she has to leave? So, well, the pastor looked over at Brother Hagin. He said, yeah, sure, I'll do it. So she comes up. He lays hands on her. The Holy Ghost came on her again. God always responds when you ask, when you pray and lay hands on somebody to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God always does his job. Always. But that doesn't determine what the individual is going to do. Brother Hagin said the Holy Ghost came on her and she stood there stone-faced and say a word. So Brother Hagin turned it back over to the pastor. Pastor dismissed the service. Brother Hagin goes out the side door of the church to the, to the, they had a little travel trailer there between the church and the parsonage. He was heading back. He had to walk through the parking lot and this, these two ladies are sitting in the car and somehow or another somebody's blocked them in so they're having to wait for everybody else to, to get out into their cars and leave so that they could go out. And Brother Hagin said, my heart really went out to her. He said, I saw her. She was just crying. She was dejected, just so, so you know, depressed about this thing. So he, he said it was December. So he knocked on the window. She rolled the window down. He said, uh, ma'am, may I ask you a question? She said, yeah, sure. He said, he took his Bible, opened it up to, to Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And he said, would you read ver- chapter 2, verse 4 for me? So she did. And they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And Brother Hagin said this, would you tell me, ma'am, 
who spoke with tongues? She said, well, the Holy Ghost did. He said, would you read that for me again? They went through it five or six times. Every time she said, the Holy Ghost did. Finally, the last time, however many times it was, Brother Hagin said, ma'am, would you read it for me again? She said, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And, oh, she said, they, they, they began to speak with tongues. He said, that's exactly right. She said, well, I, I don't hardly believe that. She took his Bible out of the, the leather bookcase, the leather, the, uh, you know, Bible case that he was in to make sure it was the right kind of Bible. She said, I thought you had a different one than I do, but it's just like mine. She said, if you'd called me to court and put me on the stand and asked me to testify under oath who spoke with tongues, she said, I would have been sure, 100% sure that it was the Holy Ghost. She said, but that's not what it says, is it? He said, no, ma'am, it's not. He said, now let me ask you this. He said, when I laid hands on you, any number of those times that I laid hands on you over the last week, were you impressed to speak in some language other than English? She said, it was all I could do to hold it back. He said, well, ma'am, you're not supposed to hold it back. You're supposed to let her go. He said, now, I could miss it. And if I do, you tell me. He said, but it seems to me that that same utterance is there for you to speak in tongues now. She, without stammering or stuttering or anything, she started lifting her voice and began to speak with other tongues fluently, all because she didn't understand how to yield. She didn't understand how to yield. The Holy Ghost does not speak in tongues. We do. He's the one that gives us utterance. Now, let's go to the other part, the other reason, the only other reason why people fail to receive. And that is, and that has to do with chronic seekers. It's a lack of faith. Now, when you say that, and this is the only time that I will use that term, a lack of faith, because I see people use that term where people are believing to receive their healing or trying to receive their healing from God. And some people will say more than anything else, in my opinion, to cover up their own shortcomings or their own lack of understanding. They'll say, well, you just don't have enough faith. Folks, Jesus never dealt with anybody in that way that he didn't help them to overcome that lack of faith. Jesus never just talked to somebody and said, well, you just don't have any faith and walk off and leave them. Yet you see that a lot in in Pentecostal circles. You see an accusation made, well, you just don't have enough faith. And basically, in my experience, what that means is, well, the problem's not with me. It's got to be with you. Why does that help anybody? Folks, I'm not out to be right. I'm not out to help people. If God, I mean, God's the ultimate in being able to sit in heaven and say, no, 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 I know what you don't know. (laughs) How does that help? No, he sent Jesus so we would know. He gave us the Holy Ghost to reveal not to hide, not to hurt, not to condemn. So this is the only time where I will use that term, a lack of faith, when it comes to people receiving. And here's what I mean by that. If somebody came to the altar to be saved and they asked for prayer to see if something would happen, they wouldn't get saved. But isn't it an easy thing for them to turn around and say, wait a minute, the Word of God says that if I'll simply choose to believe that Jesus came to the earth, went to the cross and was raised from the dead, then I, and confess him as my Lord, then I will be saved. That's an easy fix, isn't it? Well, that's what people do with the Holy Ghost sometimes. They come to be prayed for, waiting to see what's going to happen. And that's not faith. That's hope. Most of the chronic seekers are chronic hopers. Most people that have been waiting for the Holy Ghost, For God to do something, have been hoping for something rather than believing in something. Yet we just read in Luke chapter 11 in the example that I gave you of the lady in Riverside. 
She built faith in her over a matter of a few minutes over great objections, numerous objections, by simply seeing that how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them than asking? I think a lot of times people get filled with the Holy Spirit just because we're confident in it. They may not be confident, but if you show your confidence in God coming through and honoring his word, that'll help them over the edge. So those are the only two reasons ever why somebody will fail to receive. Either a lack of faith, they're hoping for something to happen, or wondering if something's going to happen rather than expecting it to happen. And secondly, it's a failure to yield to the Holy Ghost when he comes on them. The Spirit of God will come on someone when you pray for them to be filled with the Spirit. He'll come on them with the utterance, but it's up to them to use their tongue, their lips, their voice to speak out what the Holy Ghost has given them. Those are five things you need to know about the Holy Ghost. Those five things will help you get somebody filled every time. Those five things will cause you to be filled if you're one of those chronic seekers we've been talking about. Those five things. Folks, it's not a hit and miss thing with God. It's an absolute every time. Let's pray.